radio transmission by me, Donald Dean. Make me an island. Freezing cold in ancient night, you so. You the cold maze, say one. Freezing cold in ancient night, you so. All right. Tano getting us off to a fiery start here on Make Me an Island, number 23. It's called Prees in Con Chilanchuso. 
and uh, it was written, I think uh, he says, uh, to explore communication barriers because it was, he's Italian, it was made to sound for an Italian audience as if, as if it was sung in English spoken with an American accent and uh, he definitely achieved something in that regard but I think it's also, I've seen the effect on the dance floor, that key area and it's wonderful, what an amazing tune. Um, it's an example, in fact, uh, just uh, to get the facts out of the way straight away, of glossolalia, which is the phenomenon where someone uses a foreign language which they cannot normally speak, uh, which is kind of how I feel sometimes about English. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, so welcome to the show. And today, I'm very happy to say, uh, our special guest in the second half is composer Linda Buckley. In the first half, I'm going to be exploring the music of Bembe Jazz National from Guinea, and there's three Guineas, Equatorial Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, but it's the Guinea in West Africa, capital Conakry, and uh, kind of state-sponsored madness musically uh, from 1958 onwards um, after independence. Some incredible sounds made throughout the 60s and 70s, and uh, so we're going to be exploring Bembe Jazz National, and more specifically, the guitar player, uh, Seku Diamondfinger, Diabate. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to clear the head by going listening to music made at 3,800 feet uh, meters in Peru, in Puno. <laughs> Thank you. 
on the altitude front and uh, of course it's 3,800 metres. The city of Puno, the country is Peru and the band are Los Chapis, Chapis, S-H-A-P-I-S. Wonderful music, Manantial is the title. So as I said, for the first half, we're going to be spending time in Guinea, Conakry. We're going to be going back right about 1967 and 68 primarily. But when we go back there, we hear a 20-year-old Seku Diabate spring forward to 2004 Diamond Fingers solo album. And this is Beetle Man.
Yeah, that's Diamond Fingers. I thought his name might be self-explanatory. All right, Sekou uh, Diamond Fingers Diabate, to give him his full name. That's from 2004, a solo record called Guitar Foo amazing album uh but and he has four solo records but he is uh, or was a key member of Bimbea Jazz National which is our featured band Ghanaian band on the show today um now there is i suppose uh, a reason behind uh the fact that so much amazing music was produced in Guinea in the 60s and the 70s. So um, before I get into Bembea Jazz National, I want to give you a flavour of some of the other stuff uh, that was happening around that time in that place. Um, so to go back, uh, so I guess, you know, in the shows up to now, uh, a lot of what the material has come from places in Africa, um, freshly liberated and musical revolutions uh, in lots of different parts of uh, the continent. Um, Guinea in 1958, their liberation uh, was a kind of a shining example for others in the sense that there was an official policy, which I'll tell you about in a little while, which other countries in the region adopted. And so hence the kind of the uh, the fire spread. But um, so before I play uh, this next piece of music uh, by Kin- Guinean Kin- or Quintet Guinea, um, I'm just going to read you a little bit uh, of something that I wrote a little while ago uh, about the music. So the liberation of Guinea from France in 1958 precipitated a golden era of music production in West Africa. The country's first leader, Sekou Touré, was a griot, and his love of music spurred him into implementing an official policy of authenticity. This led to studios being built, orchestras constructed, tuition organised and competitions founded. While the official line was its focus on a return to traditional Guinean folk music, in reality it instilled a freedom of experimentation that produced some exceptional and unique music. The winds of change blew in all directions. All sorts of sound waves from Cuba and the US were reaching the wide open shoreline of the Gulf of Guinea. To the north, Mali and Senegal were steeped in ancient musical traditions. Their national instruments, both the kora and the balafon, a kind of African xylophone, became compulsory components of the new sound. Add to this the fact that the arrival of the electric guitar in Conakry in 1958 was an explosive development and you can begin to understand how the music became a glorious amalgamation of the old and the new. The fact that there were opportunities to make a living through music, an intrinsic part of Ghanaian life and culture anyway, turned the race for the prize into a kind of gold rush. The state-sponsored Silophone label was at the heart of it all. What you're about to hear from the Kintate Ghanaian is indicative of just how funky one nation under a groove could actually be. The rhythms are almost aquatic as they rumble along so effortlessly. The magic is shot through with glittering guitar sounds so supple and seductive. The hornwork is a joyous clarion call. Let the music keep your spirits high.
last time that I said uh, that it was my favourite music, we were in Ghana, uh, neighbouring Ghana, and uh, the, the ripple effect from the authenticity policy in Guinea was felt in Ghana, among other countries. Uh, but that music, this time, this period in Guinea, is just phenomenal. And, uh, and you can really get that sense of tradition and get something very progressive going on as well. So we're going to turn our attention now uh, back to the band Bembea Jazz National, uh, Bembea Jazz National, and uh, headed up by in at the very uh, beginning at least a twenty-year-old Seku Diabate. So this wonderful music did not just appear out of thin air. The high standard of production is no accident, and neither is the shimmering quality of the musicianship. By the time this next LP was recorded in the Silophone Studios in Conakry in 1967, Guinea's artists had spent almost a decade reaping the benefits of the official authenticity policy that sought to modernise the arts while st still being faithful to the traditional roots. Under the policy, each region in the country were represented by artistic troops. Instruments were sent to the regions accompanied by master musicians designated to teach them. Studios were built and engineers and producers trained. Musical endeavour was encouraged and fostered in every way. Creative aspiration became an official currency. It was dream time for the makers of song and sound. A series of regional competitions were organised to decide which orchestra would represent the area and ultimately the nation. Bembea Jazz National had won the overall competition two years running in 1965 and 1966. They entered the studio to record this LP on something of a roll. In the land where the music ruled, these were the undisputed high kings. Specialising in modern arrangements of traditional mandingo tunes, the band were technically adept at incorporating elements of jazz and Latin rhythms into their sound. They had served their apprenticeship as a dance band and their recorded output maintained that tight connection to dancing feet. They already had an ace in their pack in the shape of Seku Diamond Fingers Diabate on guitar. But for this LP their arsenal of talent was further bolstered by the addition of Abukar Demba Kamara on vocals. The coming together of these two on this recording was a significant collision of stars. Their sublime conversational style would go on to grace all subsequent Bembea albums, but here it's only beginning and its freshness is captivating. The bass player Dianu Hamidou was at the controls and he had an intuitive feel for how best to arrange their talents. There was no shortage of jewels in their crown and all the elements were given ample room to shine.
Divine music from Bebea Jazz National and they're only warming up in 1967 so it's a decade into independence at this point and you just have to there's nothing we can compare it to really this is the national band and uh, so the pride of the country Bambea Jazz National uh, so in 1968 uh, the scale of the ambition on this recording is simply staggering it's called Regard Sur le Passé two sides uh, which is uh, kind of what the amount of sides on records generally uh, but uh, only three tracks across the two sides and so um, it's going to have uh, the longest tune we've ever played uh, on Make Me an Island. We're going to have to uh, take a quarter of an hour to listen to this masterpiece. There is, in fact, it is uh, by far the shortest tune on the album, I should say. Um, so a little bit of background on this. Given that the translation of Regard sur le passé is Look at the Past, it's only right that a review of this masterful record should begin with some historical perspective. It was made in Conakry in 1968 when Bembea Jazz were at the peak of their powers. In the small town of Bela, a group formed around the prodigiously talented guitar player Saku Diabate won the regional competition back in 1961 and became the Orchestra de Bela. Diabate grew up in a traditional Mandingo griot family. His nickname was Diamond Fingers. A cursory listen to his playing will explain exactly why. By 1968, the band had changed their name to Bembea Jazz after the river that runs through their hometown. Regard Sur Le Passé was their most ambitious recording. It is radically innovative, consisting of three tracks spread over two sides of an LP and conceived as a tribute to Samore Touré, the resistance fighter who died in 1900. As elegies go, it is unparalleled, but it's much more than that. There is so much joy in this music, it's hard to pick any one part that stands out. But the sublime vocals of Demba Kamari takes some beating. His mellifluous voice defies gravity. The way he holds the high notes brings to mind the soaring glide of a bird in flight. Hearing is believing.
L'air que vous entendez est une composition en l'honneur de l'empereur du Boissoudi, l'Almami Samori Touré, dont la lutte anticolonialiste a donné naissance aux plus belles chansons de Chester d'Afrique. Si tu ne peux protéger le peuple et braver l'ennemi, 
Donne ton sabre de guerre aux femmes qui t'indiqueront le chemin de l'honneur. Si tu ne peux exprimer courageusement tes pensées, donne la parole au trio. Oh Fama, le peuple te fait confiance. Il te fait confiance parce que tu incarnes ses vertus. d'un tel hymne. Est-il besoin de vous présenter la famille Samoué Touré Pour le camper, nous nous contenterons de quelques citations. Citations de ceux-là même qui l'ont combattu et qui ont essayé de salir sa mémoire. Dans l'histoire des colonies françaises, Péron s'écrit. Ses ennemis les plus mortels sont unanimes à reconnaître que l'Almami Samori ne violait jamais la parole donnée. De la force ajoute, la trahison n'était pas dans ses habitudes. Les paradis poursuit. Il n'est pas exagéré de dire que l'Almami Samori s'est montré supérieur à tous les chefs noirs qui furent aux adversaires sur le continent africain. Il est le seul ayant fait preuve de qualités caractérisant un chef de peuple, un stratège et surtout un politique. Conducteur d'homme, il le fut en tout cas, possédant l'audace, l'énergie, l'esprit de suite et de prévision et par-dessus tout, une ténacité inaccessible au découragement. Tu 
la capitale de l'Empire. Intelligent, intrépide cavalier, It's just glorious music and uh, Bembea Jazz National. It's the opening piece of, of three uh, pieces of music that comprise the album Regard Sur La Passe. Absolutely perfect in everybody in every way. And I think, uh, you know, there's something really stunning about that period. If I was to write a PhD, I would definitely hone in on Conakry and the Silophone label in the 60s because what happened there was unique and it really was tradition combined with ambition and it was ambition on the part of the state and uh, and there was or there is such pride at work there and and you have to remember that by 1968 that was the national music and uh, and it's uh, pretty phenomenal to think about that um to the fore there is the sound of the balafon, uh, very much to the fore on, on that recording. Um, so um, also to the fore there, as I said, uh, the vocals um, of Demba Kamara. Now, Bembay Jazz National, things took a turn in the, in the 1970s. I should say also that while authenticity replicated throughout West Africa um, in the 60s and something that could be easily looked at and uh, reproduced in this country and other countries, but it all, uh, of course, things went belly up by the mid 70s. By 76, uh, the country was back in turmoil effectively. Uh, but um, so 1973, Demba Kamara was killed in a car accident on his way to a concert in Dakar. And uh, but Bembe Jazz National were not finished and they made an an absolutely amazing LP as a tribute uh, to their departed friend. And from that, this is Dagna from 19, released in 1974. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Written in memory of their dearly departed friend Abukar Demba Kamara, that's Bembea Jazz National, with Dagna from 1974. And at this point in Make Me an Island, um, I think I need some professional help. A semi-professional DJ needs a, a professional producer and musician. And Brendan Jenkinson is here on hand. The first guest uh, to actually... Uh, get to see the wonderful, splendid Make Me in Ireland studios. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks, Donald. Um, it's great to have you along. I'm aware that you're a fan of of Diamond Fingers and Bembea Jazz National. Um, listening to it there, um, I mean, there's so much to say about it, but let's begin, let's try to begin. The space between the notes that you're talking about there, that, that it's almost like it's it's wonderful electronic music and if you stripped it down and yeah. kind of turned it into, it's yeah. very close to being lots of things, but yet it's its own thing, right? Yeah, I think the space is kind of given its own voice in a way. Um, if, you, if you think of maybe Diamond, if you think of Diamond Fingers, like like the melodies that he's playing it's it's in the way that the melodies relate to what's going on around it and then maybe when he decides not to play it's kind of like listen to the other guys yeah what they're doing just for a second and so that's that form of space between the melodies it's so exciting yeah, yeah. And, and then his technique is playing i mean to uh, to somebody who can play the guitar you're a wonderful guitar player yourself but what is it that's going on <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yeah yeah um yeah like it's as much about the sound of the guitar and and just yeah the way like he's he's got a little bit of echo on it there yeah um and i, I feel like maybe when they were when they were recording these records like electric guitar was still a, a relatively new instrument yeah. really mm-hmm. um and as we were saying about the band, I feel like it it, imu- it looks forward as much as it looks backwards. Yeah, I love that um, idea. I mean, the, yeah. yeah, because it is very much, I mean, out of this policy mm. where you were effectively sanctioned to go look yeah. into your past and yeah. also sanctioned to turn it into something new. So you, it's like, yeah. you know, the will of the people is involved in the entire country. Mm. So, we, you know, we, you, you can't separate that. You can from the separated from the beauty of the music, but it's <laughs> yeah. probably one of the most phenomenal concepts that's been in terms of, of a state cultural program. Yeah, absolutely. Like they're 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 literally trying to build a culture for a new country. Mm-hmm. 
it's really a remarkable <laughs> it's, it's kind of emotional yeah um and like we can relate to that a little bit here in ireland like yeah. with our independence and and you know yates and uh, and all of the yeah like yeah the culture that was that was specifically set up to to build yeah. a new culture for a country yeah but a nation as such yeah, yeah absolutely and and so successfully i mean what we're hearing now there is music that's kind of 15 years after the fact of independence um and and we won't go further into the part where it went horribly wrong <laughs> but um so uh, brendan i'm just going to play you one more from that period so yeah. we're still last real swan song of ben bay jazz national is early 70s um and and that record uh, which is it's it, you'll find it actually um very easily it's it's called the souvenir de ben bay jazz national and the souvenir part is tribute to bubukar um kamara so we're going to hear one more and have another little chat from that record this is benny barale i know this is a big favorite right yeah let's hear it
It's just stunning music in every way. That's Benny Barale. Um, what is it about that one, uh, Brendan, that you, you love? Um, I first I heard that I first heard that song on the Matthews bus from Dublin to Drada when I was living out uh, in Meath with my parents. And David Lacey sent me an email. Um, and Mark, was, Mark Turgent, I hope. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I opened it straight away and, and uh, put it on on the headphones. And um, I yeah, I was pretty much blown away. Um, so thank you, David Lacey. Uh, Thanks, David. That was In the, my case, it was actually Dunk um, Sunken Fall. So we have yeah. some legends to thank. This is the uh, thank yeah. the legends section. <laughs> um, as a producer... Um, Brendan, mm-hmm. you've produced some wonderful records and um, uh, in the last couple of years, a couple that I've featured on the show, Ethan Nessa Francis and Maria Somerville. Um, I, I'm i really interested to know like how it sounds from somebody who tries to get mm-hmm. music to sound great. You know, so we have been talking about the idea that, that, that not just was the music encouraged and sponsored and fostered, yeah. but there was also a system of training engineers, producers, uh, yeah. of building studios. And technically, um, you know, it, 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 that's what the result is. So that's yeah. what you get if you, if you do that. So this is sort mm-hmm. of like 15 years of that project. And, yeah. and this is the scale of the ambition and, and the achievement. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. I think what when I listen to those early records, I, I hear I I don't really hear the the production, and and I like when I don't hear production, yeah. as in I don't, I like when I when my mind isn't immediately brought to like oh that kick drum sounds nice or yeah. you know something like that, I I hear like it there there really is a sense of musicians coming together, and maybe coming together spontaneously and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe slightly unrehearsed and, mm-hmm. and just kind of like going into a room and playing together. And I love that the production was able to facilitate that because mm-hmm. uh, that's what I hear in that production. And I, and I hear everyone listening to each other and I hear it's like one sound that's achieved. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, yeah, it's like the story of the, of that one sound. And, and that's all throughout African music, or at least that yeah. kind of wholeness of vibe, if you for want of a better phrase, as in, yeah. you know, a completeness to it that mm-hmm. it's just and then it sounds like it's in flow all the time absolutely yeah it's it's listening and it's reacting mm-hmm. um and and as much the engineers and the producers doing the same thing and mm-hmm. and nobody taking like there's, there's a there's a, the ego is sort of removed a little bit it's like nobody's well you can call yourself kind of, diamond fingers what? But the ego's removed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll forgive him that. Seku. It's okay. You can call yourself Diamond Fingers. But but that is kind of essentially true in order for it to work because the scale of it is such that it couldn't possibly yeah. without with the whole not operating with all the parts yeah. functioning in such a way. Um, so there's a kind of a, a selflessness, I guess, in terms of the production. But in 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 terms of uh, just the, uh, from a sheer engineering point of view, Brendan. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we. In, on the show here, I've been listening to a lot of music produced in the 60s and 70s throughout Africa, right? Yeah. But nothing sounds as pristine as the music from Guinea in this period, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, that's the reasons are obvious. Mm. Um, so I suppose, yeah, I, I'm interested, you know, how, how it feels as a producer to yeah. be... I mean, yeah. envious is probably a, a word you could use to, to be part of a system that would be... You would be... You'd be, they'd be, you'd be on a pedestal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd have your own pedestal. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just so it's it's just so beautifully blended together and mm-hmm. like um, there's the, like there's the right amount of use of reverbs and and echoes and yeah. um, where it's sort of like it really is like it sounds like it's coming from the past the, the, yeah. you know where you use a reverb to to almost actually make it sound like it's coming from the past and, yeah and then you've got the this like beautiful metallic sounding percussion that's bringing it into the future maybe but yeah. like it's yeah um and just on the percussion you could separate that and it could be the most interesting electronic tune yeah. of all time yeah and um, treat it a little it's funny when you like I I'm, I think there's there's a lot of music where you could just release the percussion elements of it yeah. <laughs> as its own thing yeah. and that's totally that that's yeah. that's one of those yeah. um just we'll before we finish up uh, Brendan I want to go back again to Mr Diabate Diamond Fingers and so if you listen to the solo records he's still mm. going he was in early, his early 20s when most of those um Ben yeah. Bayage as he was records. the youngest I think he was the youngest yeah, yeah. so he comes from a line of griots, which in, in yeah. that part of the world um, is a very significant uh, yeah. tradition uh, where the music is passed on through generations. So that thing you say about the past isn't sort of coincidental it's or, not or in all, any way. No. It's, it's very much calling up the spirits of, of the ancestors and they're very much then, you know, uh, situating it in the, in the present and obviously with uh, the help of the state um, mm-hmm. sort of translating or coming up with a whole new dimension. Yeah. But in his playing, right, um, so many obviously traditional elements, but there's also these waves of... Uh, you know, Cuban influence, obviously, but mm-hmm. but very clearly in this solo piece from 2004, there's also some Hawaiian in there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's hear that and we'll have a quick chat about that. This is Wati by Seku, Diamond Fingers, Diabate.
rounding off our investigation of Bembea Jazz National and Diamond Fingers, Seku Diabate. That's a tune called Wati from his 2004 solo record, Guitar Foe. I'd recommend that record as well as every single thing Bembea Jazz have ever done. Um, Brendan, when it comes to uh, his playing, right, I, I saw a documentary recently about the painter Maggie Hambling, and she amazing artist, and she had an exhibition called Touch, and, and in explaining what it was that, you know, she did and how she did it, she kept referring to that idea of touch, and, and, and when, when I listened to him as a non-guitar playing, weak-at-the-knees fan, I, I just, there's this touch that I don't hear with anybody else there's something there yeah I, I love I love that analogy as well because mm. um it is it's all about his his touch and his intention like mm. there's there's nothing there's nothing unintentional really about it and and that's not to say he's not experimental because I, I do think he is experimental but I think it's it there's an intention to like he's 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 setting an intention to do to to affect you the way he wants yeah um and i love that analogy of 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 painting because it's like once he's once he's struck the note the mm-hmm. note is still there long after it's passed and mm-hmm. you know he's on all the other he's he's moved on to other notes mm-hmm. but each note is coming before and happening afterwards and they're all they're all building up and and <laughs> and and it's intentional you know and, it's it's definitely intentional in a, the most beautiful way, but that's a really nice way of putting it because I think I think with great guitar players or great musicians, you can kind of see what they're seeing in some way. That's the kind of picture that they're painting. Yeah, it's it's a way of of sharing listening in the way that what you paint and you share an experience of a visual experience. You're yeah. you're you're giving someone a gift of being able to listen in the way the way that you listen if that makes sense. Brendan Jenkinson, not only does it make sense, but that's why I invited you here. <laughs> uh, Brendan, it's been a pleasure playing, uh, sorry, listening to music and, and hearing uh, you talk about it. And, you. Uh, but I want to play out with something. I know you're a very modest man, so but I want to play out with at least one piece of, of your wonderful production work. And, um, and next time I'm going to force you to talk about that more. But <laughs> So with Maria Somerville, right, um, this incredible record, in that case, you, you really had been um, part of the process for quite a while with Maria's work. So I guess you were coming to it from from a slightly different angle than just a producer coming in cold. Yeah. Um, you came in warm. Yeah, it actually, it started out not like, I don't think either of us knew what we were doing. Like Maria sent me some stuff to just to mix and we started doing that and then and I, we didn't really know. I don't think anyone knew we were making a, a record. It was just kind of like, let's work on some songs, and and then um, we just kind of kept sort of mm-hmm. going down that road of explore, exploration, and and um, yeah, there's some this sort of unspoken aims I think with that record. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like we didn't really talk about. We just kind of filtered out the ideas that weren't working and kept kind of moving down the road mm-hmm. towards. Um, I think just the feeling that was that we wanted to mm-hmm. get that Maria wanted to get, and I suppose having played with her for for quite a while, that unspoken stuff you don't really need to go there if you if you have shared that feeling. Yeah, that's that's like <laughs> there's this, there's yeah there's a kind of it's a real privilege then as a to to work on music that yeah. you've actually been able to play with the person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
Um, yeah. And then, and then years later, you will agree to talk to me about it because you have played on it as well. <laughs> uh, Brendan, what a great achievement I'm going to. Uh, this is our bridge over to Linda Buckley, who's on the way on the last part of Make Me an Island number 23. But this is our Ghanaian section closing. And uh, thanks once again to you, Brendan. Thanks, Donald. Okay, thank you. thank you. All My People, Maria Somerville, produced by Brendan Jenkinson.
having spent so much of this edition of Make Me an Island in the heat of Guinea, it's nice to be in the cool of Connemara, produced by Brendan Jenkinson. That's Maria Somerville and all my people. And thanks to Brendan uh, for joining me on the show. My third, uh, sorry, my second guest for the third and final part of the show um, is composer Linda Buckley. And Linda, um, I think Maria Somerville is a nice bridge into talking about your music. Um, the last time I saw you play live was with Maria at the Project Art Centre. It feels like a while ago, but it was only December. I know, it feels like so much has happened since then. Yeah. And and just the joy of live music, It was that was a very special night. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice thing to carry throughout all this kind of strange time that the memories of great gigs and things yeah. So we'll have them again, sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that one was particularly resident, resonant. Now, uh, you are resident, uh, however, in the Royal Conservatoire in Scotland, and uh, you teach composition there, right? That's right, yeah. It's a really kind of international group of students that I have from California to Belgium, some local Scottish people too, Glaswegians, um, and just to kind of a really broad spectrum of work that they're making. So it's, it's really exciting to kind of see them start out and kind of grow in confidence over the years and all that. Um, so that's, yeah, it's something that I'm really enjoying at the moment. We were in the first half of the show, um, Linda, talking about um, the state-sponsored uh, music education program in Guinea in the 60s. Um, I suppose um, it's a very different situation that, that you're working in right now, but in terms of how it works uh, when people get together and, and they have uh, the opportunity, I suppose, uh, to share ideas and, and you being in charge of those um, sort of um, sessions, um, it's a very important position, the mentor, um, I mean, that first contact in uh, in terms of if you're, if you're heading into that world right yeah I mean I suppose in a way it's a huge responsibility and a kind of half of it really is just basic sort of encouragement and having them feel safe to express themselves in any way that they wish to um, and I suppose just to feel supported in that really and mm -hmm. to kind of find their own voices and um, because you know that takes time it takes courage in themselves and it's just more about kind of I can of course I can help them with technical things and compositional and musical things and all of that and structural things. But I think it's more about, you know, really finding out who the person is himself and what I want to say. Yeah, and, and in your own journey in that sense, I mean, you, you uh, and as we, we will hear when we play some of the music, and I've chosen a couple of pieces that are very much from the orchestral world, and then a couple of very experimental pieces, one electronic and one uh, sort of field music based. So your own journey has been kind of like, you know, uh, I suppose, very varied and, and wayward in, in the sense of um, experimenting with lots of different forms. Um, is that kind of something you bring to the table straight away or is it something that you, when you're teaching, that it's very much compositional based or is there is there any convention applied to, to the actual structure of the course? Not really in what I do. Like uh, That's one of the things I love about it is that, you know, sometimes you get someone coming in and they're 18 or 19 and they've just come through school and they kind of think you have to write in a very particular way. And then I ask them, what other kind of music do you like? And they're like, oh, well, actually metal and, you know, hardcore electronic noise or whatever. And then I'm like, OK, well, you know, why not bring all of those things into what you're doing as opposed to 
thinking yeah. it has to be scored and it has to be for the concert hall and it has to be classical and it has to be all these things. So it's about kind of really opening it up. So, yeah. you know, I think th- sometimes they're surprised by that because they kind of expect it to be this very academic track and that's not really what I'm about at all. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, they <laughs> expect a, it to be that and then you uh, you introduce the craft work section. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I think that's important to them. Uh, so just that brings me along to Florian Schneider, Linda, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, so in terms of of your journey through music, Kraftwerk, uh, I, I presume, would uh, have a special place in that journey. Totally, yeah. I mean, I remember like a lot of people seeing them on top of the pops, playing yeah. the model. So, mm-hmm. of course, that was a kind of an entry point for a lot of people. And then... Um, I would have been sort of already a bit interested in the sound of synthesizers anyway. And then kind of years later, got into early craft work and can and Faust and Neu and, and a lot of Krautrock. Um, and I suppose, you know, hanging out with people like I'm good friends with Mike Small, the Galway based um, yeah. musician from Kane One for One, I'm sure you know. Um, he had a lot of these records and he was also interested in analog synths and just listening and talking about this music was really important for me. And also, um, Kind of later, then I would have become friends with uh, Joe McLaughlin um, from Liverpool, who was in the band Kling Clang, mm-hmm. um, and they, you know, got in trouble with Kraftwerk's solicitor for using the name and all this kind of thing. They got letters from them saying cease and desist and, and all this. So, um, you know, when I was living in New York and and Joe was there as well, we would kind of sit in their apartment and listen to Kraftwerk records and Trans Am and all these things. So. Um, you, you know, listen, it's been a recurring strand in my life. Yeah, you would listen to their records legally. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, that spirit of experimentation that, that Kraftwerk brought to the table, Florian Schneider, um, like, you know, when you, when, you, when you look back at the origins of, of what the first couple of records and, uh, and what predates that, and then where it ended up, but really that's where you want to be as an artist, right, or a composer or a producer. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that the lovely thing about those early records is that sense of long form that they could take up whole sides of records with one track. And, you know, this this gorgeous kind of minimalist repeating patterns and building layers. And another thing I suppose I loved about him was that he made the flute cool as well, because I, I, I play flute. And yeah. for when I was younger learning it, I was like, yeah, this is OK. But I never really saw any role models where it was used in any kind of experimental way in that sense, you mm. know, Um yeah. But also, I mean, it's also really melodic music. You know, it's beautiful. Like, you know, some people talk about the kind of the more experimental electronic influence on Kraftwerk like Stockhausen and people like that. But actually, the music is incredibly harmonic and it's really kind of catchy and memorable and melodic. And yeah. I suppose those, those are the things that I think that really grabbed me. It, and it's, it straddles those words and then and worlds and then it brings you into the other one from another which is what great sort of um, art does I suppose just before we I, I forget there I, it's a sidetrack uh, Linda but we're allowed those uh, the 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 flute cool thing I mean you must have been pretty happy with Bjork's last show then oh totally yeah <laughs> I mean yeah I, but like she plays flute herself so yeah. I did know that and I remember learning that about her when I was a teenager and I was like oh great you know that's it felt like another kind of confirmation that this was an interesting instrument or something yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um let's just hear Imbal which is um so maybe you could explain that piece well I was actually working on this piece in the lockdown and it, originally it wasn't anything to do with um, Florian Schneider's passing away. It was actually I, he- I heard about this 
while I was halfway through making this track. Um, and so it just felt kind of strangely serendipitous or something. Um, and it's just basically using all analog synths layered uh, and just kind of repeating patterns. So definitely a nod to Kraftwerk, maybe kind of subconsciously in a way. Beautiful. Okay, Imbal, Linda Buckley. When I think of um, Kraftwerk's music, I think of motion and, and there being motion and, and that very much is cut from the same cloth. Really beautiful piece of work. And I suppose um, I'd like to think that the spirits were, were guiding you to make that piece uh, around the time of Florian's passing. I think so. I think, yeah, I remember when I heard the news, I, I was really sad about it. And, and But I was also, I felt very kind of grateful to him and to them for all the inspiration over the years as well. Yeah. Um, just on that thing about motion, right, that, that that transportive element in music. I know you were born into um, a farm in the old head of Kinsale, am I right? 
That's right. But um, so look, a similar situation myself in that in, in that it was a farm, right? But just the sounds that you hear and in sort of the early times that you, you're, you're uh, exposed to music and how that all kind of those two things are very much connected. Um, but when Kraftwerk comes into the mix and you're 10 or 11 years old, I mean, it's a significant step in in a certain direction, isn't it? And sort of a brave new world. Um, but was it, I, I presume that that kind of was, was very similar to your own kind of uh, awakening when it came to, you know, your environment and then the music after that. And um, I think so. But I think, you know, it's sometimes only in hindsight years later that you understand and reflect and make sense of these things, you know. So I think growing up in that situation, of course, I didn't know any different. And mm-hmm. I just thought that the sounds of, you know, the sea and, and milking machines and all those things were just mm-hmm. um, part of everyone's lives, you know. And mm-hmm. um, years later, I, I realized that that's not necessarily the case. Um, and, you know, I think those things just filter in without you being aware of it, which mm-hmm. is part of the beauty of, of making art in the world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and the chance to kind of give that back as well, which is music is one of those things that it allows, gives expression to those memories. Um, so just, I want to now go to something that you composed, sorry, that you, uh, it's, it's from 2011. The title is Chio, and this is played by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. Um, incredibly different stunning piece of music tell me about uh, the provenance of this one thanks very much um so as you said it's from 2011 as well it was one of the first pieces i worked on for full symphony orchestra um and at the time i was working as um lyric fm resident composer actually so um i was working a bit with the rt national symphony orchestra in dublin um, and I think, you know, when you're asked to write a piece for orchestra at the beginning, and this is, you know, kind of 10 years ago, that it can be a very daunting prospect because you're thinking, oh, my God, all those instruments, what am I going to do? And then I just sort of sat down and I remember having sort of writer's block when I was working on this. And I was like, oh, you know, how am I going to create something that feels very true to myself? Because I wouldn't necessarily be naturally listening to a lot of huge orchestral pieces or anything normally. You know, it's not really part of my everyday world. And I thought, you know, how can I still make it kind of understated and have this kind of quiet ambience or something in a way? And I remember I went to um, a bookshop down the road. I was living in Rathgar at the time and um, went to their lovely little Rathgar bookshop. And there was a a book of haiku poetry and I came across um, some haiku poems by a female Japanese poet called Chioni from the 18th century. And um, there were just these really kind of simple, clear images like cool, clear water and fireflies that vanish. That is all there is. Moonflowers, the beauty of hidden things. And then I kind of thought about what about creating just a very clear image that just changes slightly over the course of the whole piece um, where you're just moving from different families of the orchestra. So you might have the opening section is just strings then it moves into just woodwinds, then it's just brass, and then you build up the whole orchestra after that. Um, and it just felt much more true to to me than trying to create something that felt kind of overblown or something. And um, I remember going over um, when the BBC Symphony Orchestra were performing it and they were recording it at Maidavale Studios in London. And um, that was kind of a really amazing overwhelming experience in just hearing that sound around me and just seeing kind of a hundred people 
playing a piece that you wrote in your bedroom or something, you know, and it's just kind of I remember crying because I remember feeling really moved by it and the fact that they had all individually gone off and kind of learned their parts. And then it's about bringing together all these elements um, and just the, the experience of that. There's tears. Uh, there's a lot of tears involved here because there's <laughs> uh, there's tears um, hearing that story and listening to to the piece itself, right? But I'm also struck by just um, just the sheer. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a triumph to be able to realize a dream in such a way. And and I'm thinking of of um, the version of you that that was, you know, on the, on the old head of Kinsale, and then the version that that ends up in Made of Ill with a hundred people from the BBC Symphony Orchestra, and it's obviously the same person. <laughs> I know it seems like such a huge leap. And I remember actually when I was still in, I guess, secondary school and I remember hearing your radio show and you were playing Goretzky Symphony Number no. 3, <laughs> yeah. which had a huge impact on me. And I remember being mm. absolutely blown away when I first heard that piece to tears as well, you know, and yeah. um, the mad, memory Linda. of that kind of yeah. stayed, stayed with me. That is mad because that is actually in my notes here. I have the third symphony and uh, and I also wrote down Avril Pratt. And I guess, you know, I had no idea that, that it could have been, I could have been involved in that circle there. Um, but so so to keep the essence of the, the, the simple with the, with the haiku, with the with the words there and, and they're so simply evocative to keep that. I mean, you have there's a there's a, a tremendous amount of power and restraint in this piece. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that as well is to do with um, thinking about the way string instruments are played. So I suppose I would have, as you know, have come from kind of folk music, trad in my family and things, and also being interested in sort of ambient music and stuff. So I kind of feel one of the first things I wanted to do was take away that massive kind of vibrato string sound. So they're asked to play with very little vibrato and it just kind of gives that sort of smoothness to the sound and also something that feels maybe more restrained and more understated. Let's hear it. Uh, this is Chio by Linda Buckley with the BBC Symphony Orchestra.
uh, it's always bad when the presenter is rendered speechless. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Linda, before I ask you anything, I just want to say, like, first of all, the idea that, that you would have heard um, Goretzky's Third Symphony on the radio program that I did is just blows my blown mind. And, and then secondly, I'm really interested to know about like how it feels to be that person in that room who is responsible for all of the movement and the sound that, that's being made. Now, I just, there's, it brought to mind something, um, you probably know it, David Byrne's book, where he, her music is made, where he, there's so many revelations in that book, right? But there's one mm. in particular where he's talking about working with a group of dancers. It's, he's talking about moving away from, or moving into dance and discovering what dance is all about. And, you know, that meaningful change in his life that he, you know, as, as, he is such an incredible artist where he, he incorporates uh, new forms uh, into his work so effortlessly, but there obviously isn't uh, that effortless. But um, so he's in a room, he's he's casting a video or, or they're, they're, they're making up a video with a, a director, a choreographer, and, and they have a, a little thing going with a group of dancers where they don't audition separately, but they audition together. And the buzz is that the everybody in the room starts off doing their own thing and somebody notices somebody else doing something that they like and they start to do what they're doing and see what happens. And uh, it started and then uh, I can't remember which piece of music it was it started and then after a while eventually everybody's doing the same thing and, and what what happens is he hears everybody moving together in the same way as in leaping and breathing and moving and he has this sonic revelation about that collective breath that happens in unison you know so there's that kind of like oh my god uh, and for some reason Thinking of, of you in that room with a hundred people, not a hundred cows on the head of Kinsale, but a hundred people playing <laughs> this incredible music, somehow mm. kind of made me think, well, maybe there's a, some connection between how it felt in your head when you hear everybody, everything moving the way that you wrote it, you know, I mean, is that is that fair to say? I think so, yeah. I mean, there's something incredibly magical about watching them, you know, visually and physically, them kind of, you know, especially string players, you can see them all bowing as one you know and mm. just kind of um yeah the, like the, the, i think the it, it dance happens of when the, you, you yeah the dance mm. of, of the visual dance itself you know i mean it yeah go on sorry Lindy. well i mean i think that's always really special especially if you see musicians who have played together for a long time you know they have they have a certain kind of shorthand or a certain kind of way of i mean it, it actually happens a lot with if i ever sing with my sisters or something that we kind of tend to phrase and breathe together without looking at each other or practicing or anything, just our eyes could be closed and yet our phrasing is exactly the same. I know people call that blood voices and all that, but I, there's something about, um, you know, kind of knowing someone well and sort of having that connection even more than the musical connection too. Um, blood voices, I'd, I'd never heard that great term i know it's something that often I, like because I, I did a bit of work with um the sort of experimental folk duo anna and elizabeth um oh, from the states amazing. who are amazing and I, i've done some stuff with them but um and i met them when i was in new york but um a lot of people think that they're sisters but they're actually not at all you know they're from you know one not, is from virginia not one's at all from, sisters <laughs> yeah, they're, they're from they're from very different parts of america okay i thought they um, were sisters sorry i know because I, they, their harmonies 
line up in this way, which okay. people have called blood voices. And in a lot of interviews and reviews and things, they're often talked about in this way as if they're uh, siblings, but they're not. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's funny because, you know, I, we came upon it upon the show in an earlier episode with Molly Drake and Nick Drake. I wonder, is, does it work yeah. in, between generations as well as not just <laughs> siblings? Um, but yeah, so God, that's I, I love the idea of, of the family that sings together. It must have been a happy situation when, when you all do that. It must be a happy situation, rather. I mean, it still happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't get to see each other um, as much as before, obviously. But um, when we do, it's 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 a lovely thing when it happens. It feels very natural. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Speaking of natural, let's go to the natural world. In the you you as well as um, this work, you you also work in in many other experimental and more experimental areas. So I want to play. Campagne, um, a piece that you recorded in Italy. You might just, it's its the Italian for bell, right? We've established mm-hmm. that. Um, so time spent in which city or town? Well, this was actually um, an art residency in a castle, which was kind of amazing, in the middle of Italy, in Umbria. Um, and right. I suppose the ne- one of the nearest towns would have been Gubbio. So, I mean, it's quite, it's quite remote, actually. It's not really near any mm-hmm. big cities or anything. Um, and it was with other mostly visual artists and poets, loads of poets, actually, at the time. Um, and it was just like what a, a crazy thing to be able to do, like to, to live in a castle for a couple of months and just make music um, and hang out with all these poets. and things. But um, I remember it was kind of, I think it was like April, May a few years ago. So the, it wasn't like it was really sunny. It was actually a lot of kind of rainstorms and things. And, and this piece was written for a show that I worked on um, with Laura Sheeran and Stephanie Dufresne um, called Changeling, which was about, you know, this really kind of tragic and horrific thing that happened at the end of the 19th century, 1895, in Tipperary um, to a woman called Bridget Cleary. Um, So this notion that she was possessed by an evil spirit, a changeling, and that she um, was actually um, killed by her husband, um, Michael Cleary. So this is really, you know, a terrible thing that happened and she was kind of considered to be a witch and all this sort of thing. Um, so the show was was kind of built around that story um, using kind of dance and video and music. Um, so a lot of music was actually written during that time. And I just remember that time being quite spooky in a way because I was working on a lot of this music um, and there were a lot of kind of thunderstorms around the castle. So it was kind of very, the whole thing was very spooky. Um, yeah. But the recordings for this were made um, in the nearby town of Gubbio of church bells. And you can hear actually little Italian children, their voices and their playing. Um, so it seems like kind of a strange thing to bring into something which is about something that happened in Tipperary, but it strangely worked. And then when I was making it, I was I would listen back to the sound of the church bells that I'd recorded. And I would improvise my voice over that and record that. And basically the whole piece is based on that, really. Um, I, I love the idea of it coming from there because I just want to, uh, uh, thanks Linda, but I just want to actually dedicate this piece to my producer Ian Cudmore because this time last year um, I uh, played some music at Ian and Valentina's wedding on the border of Umbria and Tuscany and, uh, and, and I got to spend a few days in those exact locations, those squares of towns everywhere, every town uh, with fountains in the middle and the bells ringing so um, it evokes very strong memories um, in that sense uh, so let's hear it, Campane by Linda Buckley.
That's the sound of Campane. Um, Linda, the chance to work with choreographers and directors and so forth outside of musical form itself, you've, you've been very interested in, in that sort of cross-fertilisation. Especially in recent years, like I, one of the last things I did, I suppose it's a couple of years ago now, is um, with Liz Roach, uh, the Liz Roach Dance Company. And um, I really felt such a strong kinship with her work, um, just absolutely beautiful work. Um, we made a show together called I Thou, um, which was we did a first kind of iteration of it in Sirius Arts Centre in Cove in Cork and then the the second part was in the Cork Opera House and then later we brought it to Dublin Dance Festival and things um but um just extraordinary just the level of kind of how she responds to music um and you know sometimes they're seen as very kind of separate entities in in contemporary dance but she absolutely synchronizes exact beats and things to to music that I would Mm -hmm. make so it was kind of a real joy to work with her yeah, I don't know if you've seen the work of Una Doherty. Um, um, she is, uh, the most recent thing she's done is actually a video with Jamie XX, but a similar mm-hmm. thing as in um, seems to be inside the music when she's dancing or something and, and uh, really phenomenal. Um, so the, the show with Liz Roach was I Thou. Mm-hmm, that's it. Okay, mm-hmm. and Changeling, the show that featured Campani, is that was a couple of years ago now. I think I remember something about that. That was for um, Clonmel Festival at oh, the yeah. time. Oh, yeah, with Mary. Yeah, okay, okay. And it was kind of performed in this very sort of spooky kind of old, um, I suppose, abandoned church. And, and it was kind of um, the whole thing, yeah, it was a very interesting experience in that, you know, to, to perform a show like that, which is about something that happened in the locality. You know, mm-hmm. we had to be kind of very um, sensitive to that. Um, but it also felt, you know, incredible to be shining a light on on the voice of Bridget Cleary too. Mm-hmm. To give that expression, yeah. Um, Linda, just in terms, in the short term, I know that there's music about to be released, right? You've got new music on the way. That's right. Um, that's going to be coming out in September. And so at the moment, I'm just... Kind of finalizing mixes and and all that at the moment. so it's, it's great to see it all come together now yeah um well it's been a pleasure talking to you once again linda on the show i just want to close um the program today um by talking uh, a little bit about exploding stars which is a piece of music that i love and it goes with with the piece we heard chio so maybe you could tell us a little bit about the the background thematically to this one so this was actually a commission from the violinist Darren Morgan um, and he wanted to work with us um, in a show which would have violin and spatialized electronic sound. So for many years I was in this group called the Spatial Music Collective um, in Dublin. Um, a lot of musicians who would have come through the course, the, the Masters in Music and Media Technologies at Trinity College, so we kind of all would have had a common um you know, connection through that. So it would have been people like uh, Simon Cullen, myself, Jonathan Angle, Enda Bates. Um, and so kind of creating very sort of immersive spatial work. Um, so I suppose the idea originally would have been for eight channel surround sound system. So it would have been really immersive and, you know, the the listener really in the middle of all this wash of sound. Um, later, you know, I, I made a different version of it, which would just be stereo, um, but trying to, keep those elements which felt very 
kind of spatial and immersive as well. Um, and then I suppose I would have known Dara already for a good few years. Um, he was one of the first people I'd ever worked with. Um, and I suppose I knew the way that he plays and it was kind of written for um, knowing the, the sort of things that he could bring to it. Um, but then at the same time, thematically, it is about um, something to do with when you're gone, you're never fully gone. There's remnants of you still left. And it was dedicated to the memory of a friend of mine who died actually that year called Keith Murphy from Kinsale, who had been a longtime friend of our family. Um, and so it was kind of to do with, um, you know, exploding stars when the stars explode in a supernova situation um you know the remnants of the stars form this uh beginnings of a new star so it's the sense that you're never fully gone oh well i really believe that what a beautiful tribute uh, to keith i um yeah thanks for for explaining that again linda i love the idea behind the music and i absolutely love the music before i go i just want to thank uh, uh the listeners and uh, especially um i want to thank anybody who has um helped us out on patreon thank you so much for single-handedly and collectively um helping the project along i want to thank the uh, amazing diamond fingers seku diabate and bembea jazz national and uh, i want to thank um seku to Touré, who was the first uh, president of uh, independent Guinea and for his policy authenticity. Thanks to Brendan Jenkinson for coming in and talking to me about the same. And thanks to you, Linda. Uh, and I'm going to play out with this wonderful piece of music of yours, Exploding Stars. Thanks, Jim.